0: Transmission arts, like any any kind of programming, is is about the listener and giving people um, a variety to choose from. I think there are definitely things that people hear on the station that challenges them, and that's true no matter what kind of programming you're talking about. But transmission arts, experimental sounds, they all challenge us in a way that's I think healthy, and it also. It pushes us to think outside of the box when it comes to what might be more traditional broadcast.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor. My name is Paul Rees-Mendell, and joining me is my co-host, Jennifer Waits. Hello, Jennifer.
2: Hey, Paul. Hey. Great to be here.
1: And Jennifer, you just had an amazing radio tour. One that I'm very jealous that I wasn't able to accompany you on. It's a station that is one of our affiliates. It's a station that plays our radio show here. So we want to say hello to all those listeners of WGXC, also known as Wave Farm. Where is WGXC?
2: It's in a few places, but it's in the Hudson Valley in New York. And they have Various studio outposts, and I visited two of them. So in Hudson, New York, I visited the WGXC studio. And then in Acre, uh, which I believe is about a 20-minute drive from there, I visited their studio at Wave Farm, where they have a whole bunch of other activities as well.
1: Wow. So you get to see the station that has kind of a city studio, if you will. Hudson's a small city and then a city. And then you have this big uh, complex where they also do all sorts of broadcasting and transmission art. And and you had a chance to talk to a number of people from the station. And so maybe uh, we should really hear, learn more about it from one of those folks. Um, You talked to the station manager of WGXC.
2: Yeah, I talked to Lynn Sloniker, she is the station manager and the managing news editor, and and she's based in the Hudson studio. So she led me on a tour of their church basement digs and talked about the overall mission
1: of WGXC. And, and here she tells us a little bit about, you know, kind of what makes WGXC – Unique in terms of having lots of different streams of content. So here we'll listen to Lynn Slonecker.
0: At the top of the player, we have WGXC, which is our main uh, stream. This is the stream that you hear on FM most consistently. Okay. Uh, We have Standing Wave Radio, which um, is the stream coming out of ACRA. And that is often on FM as well. That's the stream that you hear on FM overnight and on Saturdays.
2: And are they... So at other times of the day, is there material in that mm-hmm. stream that you're not hearing on FM? Yeah, so here we Oh, if I, okay. If
0: I play this now. What opera is that could have you for, Do you
3: think
0: it like... Like, if radio was the primary, so this is a From the Archives, and you can, on this, this is very helpful. Okay. Because it gives you your now playing and your up next for all these streams where that's applicable. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. So, um, and then you have Weather Warlock. You'll see the Warlock tomorrow when you're over in um, Acre. This is a great one, and you uh, I know if you've heard Tom, if you heard Tom on the morning show, you heard this. But it's an analog drone synthesizer. It oh. uses the information on the weather.
2: Oh, that's right.
0: Yes. This is one of my personal favorites. <laughs> this is great to have going when you're working. <laughs> um it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's quite. It's
2: and quite how is Quintron involved?
0: He, w- he developed it. Oh, created it. great. Yeah, yeah. Then we have uh, Mike at the bottom of the pond station, created by Zach Poff. He's up here quite regularly keeping it going and maintaining it. And then our All Together Now stream, which is a 24-7 stream of our um, news coverage. Um, so if you ever want to hear that or actually all of these streams are, um, are great for general listeners, but our programmers can use this on air. So if you decide, you know, like using Tom as an example, the way he uses Quintron mm-hmm. or he uses the pond station, he puts that on and that's his bed
4: oh. that he talks over.
0: Um, or if someone decides that you know, for whatever reason, maybe there's something on All Together Now that they're interested in and they they want to bring to their listeners, Um, they can play the All Together Now stream.
2: That's really cool.
0: Yeah. And then we have our live partner streams that appear below that in the player. This is where anyone who generates a stream using our app, this is where their stream would appear. So the general public can have access and hear again it could be picked up on FM if that's appropriate or desired. Wow. Yeah. So using our our app does really three things. It allows you to listen live to the radio and all of these individual streams. If that's you know you have that to choose from as well. Um, it allows you to create a playlist um, from our archive third function is that you can actually transmit as an individual so that's an option within the app so really all you have to do to make that happen so say you want it for instance you are a, um, you know you're a regular attendee at your um, city council meeting um, and you want you think that people should hear what's going on because the city itself hasn't taken any action to live broadcaster to report, yeah, which around here is pretty much the case. So you, um, you download our app, um, you go to our website, there's a, s- a short form for you to fill out where you explain, where you say who you are, um, what you want to broadcast. We then give you an ID and a login, and you can initiate a broadcast from any place that you want to initiate a broadcast there are certain parameters you know you're given direction on um, things having to do with labeling and um, you know all all the particulars that um, people would understand so they understand the context for what they're doing yeah and it it appears then so you initiate your your stream and it shows up on our listen live bar um, and on the app wow uh, for anyone who might be listening, um, the town of Catskill um, broadcasts their um, monthly, two, uh, bimonthly um, town board meetings using the app. So their meetings are at 6.30. That falls right in the middle of our news hour. So nine times out of ten, we pick that up live. Oh, wow. On FM.
1: And the voice you just heard is Lynn Sloniker. She is the managing news editor and station manager of community radio station WGXC in Hudson, New York. And then WGXC has another enormous kind of studio complex out on a farm called The Wave Farm up in Acre, New York. And Jennifer, you had a chance uh, to also travel up there about 20 minutes away. Uh, Set the scene. What does this wave farm look like?
2: Ooh, it's amazing. It's, it's a 29-acre property, and when you arrive, there's a main building where they have a library, they call it their study center, and then upstairs there's a radio studio, and, and when I was there, there was also uh, an artist-in-residence, Dan Tapper, doing a performance out kind of in front of the building. And then there are trails and um, paths throughout the property where, on my visit, I was led by the sounds of radios hidden in the woods that, that take you on this path to see different artist installations. So the kind of library they have in the study center also has a display of a bunch of radios, a lot of vintage radios, and books about radio, and recordings from performances a big focus on transmission arts in that room
1: this is a wooded area so it's not like sometimes you think farm and you think of fields right you know as if they maybe they were growing alfalfa or something Uh, only in this case they're growing waves but is it so is it mostly kind of more wooded and more foresty
2: oh yeah it's woodsy and they have a pond uh, where the Pond Station is which we've talked about on Radio survival And we'll be before. talking more about <laughs>
1: the, with the creator of the Pond Station a little bit later in the show
2: Yeah, it's just a lovely kind of summer camp feeling and and in fact I learned on the visit that an AM station that they have installed on the property was actually installed by Dan Braverman who we spoke with on the podcast about summer camp radio and, and he in fact had set up their AM station <laughs> at Wave Farm so A lot of really cool, interesting connections there and a lot of different types of broadcasts, which we're going to learn about in a bit.
1: And so you had a chance to sit down in the studios there, the radio studios at the Wave Farm there in Acre, New York of Wave Farm. And you had a chance to talk with one of the founders of the station and and the Wave Farm operation.
2: Yeah. Tom Rowe is the artistic director And he talked to me about the, the backstory, you know, how, how he got into radio and, and his micro broadcasting past and, and the whole philosophy, you know, wave farm is actually a nonprofit arts organization that operates this radio station, WGXC, but they also have artists in residence. They offer media arts grants So they're doing a lot more than radio, and and all of that is based um, out of, you know, the main Wave Farm outpost in Acre.
1: Well, let's go ahead and listen to your interview with Tom Rowe, Artistic Director of Wave Farm. We join you talking with Tom in the main studio there, exploring some of the sound toys available to artists.
2: The studio we're in has a lot of amazing objects, so could you maybe talk through and and play a little bit of, of some of the toys sure, you have in here. Sure, we
3: can uh, go around. And, and the main reason uh, is because we have this artist residency program of artists that work with radio, and so it, it's set up with tools for artists to do um, any kind of radio that they want. So uh, maybe you could play some of those. I can't reach those, but there's a bunch of, uh, of uh, uh, kids' toys. You just uh, touch it, take up that avocado, and shake it. <laughs> So uh, uh, that's the avocado uh, shaker. Uh, there's slide whistles, there's drums, there's accordions. Uh, there's So a lot of kids' toys, harmonicas, but uh, there's a Brazilian uh, percussion instrument. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, different uh, foley instruments. And then we have a air, air organ. These, uh, in my, my house, we had one in the 70s, and I think a lot of my friends in the 1970s find these air organs that have this really nice... The minor keys are really lovely.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I wish I'd had one.
3: We have the... What are these called?
2: Music box? Simpsons theme song.
3: Then we have all kinds of... uh,
2: are little handheld sound effects. They're toys. called sound
3: machines. Uh, if you're looking online to find them, uh, you can find them in uh, Amazon and eBay. Uh, and you can also find them in dollar stores. Uh, oh, wow, what as, was that? Which one? Which one? This the one, one with
2: that lovely refrain.
3: Oh, that, yes, that is a nice, uh, I think it's supposed to be a violin or a cello. Oh, yeah. sorts of different uh, it's beautiful. Uh, sounds. The most popular that gets used in both studios is the applause uh, when you have a guest or something. And, uh, uh, but you can also make fun of the things people say. Uh, and then back here are the uh, chimes from Dick Higgins, orchestral chimes. is one of the uh, Fluxus artists. Uh, this is my favorite keyboard. I found at a thrift store in Baltimore in uh, 20 years ago. It's called the Rap Man, and um, I don't have anything hooked up to it. But it has a line in, and you can. And it has a vocoder on it, so you can run anything, like play a CD into it or something, play some sound, and then use the vocoder to change the uh, instrumentation. And uh, I didn't put it on rap. First, here's the pond station.
2: We just saw the pond. I'm not
3: sure it's going to. No, no, the hum is from something else. Oh, I know what the hum is from. There's the pond station. Okay. And then I'll add the weather warlock. the weird hum. And there's an outside microphone too. This this is really gets used more than anything else, that stuff, because uh, you can't see on the radio, but it's right there on the second mixer next to our console. Um, and so we do our weather reports with the... Uh, weather radio and the outside microphone and the microphones in the bottom of the pond, uh, especially when it's raining uh, uh, or snowing, all that sounds much more interesting. The pond station sounds sort of like a, a space science fiction soundtrack uh, when there's rain coming down on the outside. And you can also hear when a plane goes overhead, the sound travels really well through water. Uh, oh, wow. You know, there's hydrophones in the Pacific Ocean that uh, pick up uh Earthquakes and landfalls from you know miles and miles away. Uh, they, 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 you know, Russia and the United States spy on each other with hydrophones in the uh, to see if they're uh, listen for their uh, submarines from far far away and things like that. Uh, so uh, if a plane flies overhead, you can hear it through the water in the pond station. Or if I'm mowing the lawn uh, near the pond, you can hear it through the pond station. Uh, uh, Zach Poff, the artist that created it, uh, he says, oh, I can tell when you're mowing the lawn, because he listens all the time. and uh, uh, So that's all available on the website. I think we've made most of our other sounds. There's, you know, turntables, uh, cassette player, uh, CD players, the traditional things you see in uh, 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 a radio studio. There's also, um, let turn on the uh, shortwave radios.
2: So you really can play the studio here. Yes, that is
3: exactly, that is exactly the idea, is the play of the studio. Now there's shortwave radios, there's uh, regular radios. Um, um, so yes, you're meant to be able to uh, pull in any kind of sound that you can think of. Uh, uh, the drum machine isn't uh, plugged in at the moment, but That's also here. Um, And we try to, uh, as often as possible, have like four or five different people come in, and, you know, somebody can be back there at the chime, someone can be at the keyboard, someone can be playing the shortwave radios, someone can be playing all the Foley (laughs) instruments or the air organ, and someone can be playing the Weather Warlock and the uh, Pond Station and things.
2: Yeah, it's so much fun. So a a big part of what you do is transmission arts and... Some of our listeners might not know what that is. Could you explain what transmission art is? Well,
3: radio art is probably the term that more people think of, but um, we use the term transmission art because um, uh, well, radio people think of as just FM or AM. But really, radio is television. It's uh, your cell phone. They're all using radio waves, the baby monitor. Um, so we've made transmission art as a term... Uh, to encompass all those other things, because we work with artists that use uh, baby monitors, that use uh, uh, cell phones in their work, that use um, uh, Faraday uh, cages that block uh, transmission, uh, uh, that use light waves, uh, um, there's visual artists that uh, we work with. Um, So um, it's just a broader term for radio art and using the radio waves in uh, artistic practice.
2: I'm a bit overwhelmed by everything, but could you tell me how the AM station is broadcasting and, and what the content of that station is?
3: The AM station is usually broadcasting um, uh, Standing Wave Radio, which is uh, our uh, transmission art feed that's 24-7. Um, it, the Standing Wave Radio airs on WGXC um, on all-day Saturday and between midnight and 6 a.m. So we are uh, radio art overnights and on Saturdays. Um, So the two feeds are are, are simultaneous at that point on both AM and FM. Um, It also, uh, I think actually right now, it's not broadcasting Standing wave Radio. It's broadcasting uh, Dan Tapper's uh, work. He's the artist in residence here. And so it's another tool for uh, residency artists to use. uh, uh, Like our first residence this season were from France, uh, Dinah Bird and John Philippe. And they uh, used, um, they performed around the M49. uh, It's an old... Uh, local fire department's radio truck uh, and where the AM uh, transmitter is and uh, they used, they fed uh, something into the um, some of their performance into the AM uh, transmitter and then had radio spread around their performance area and then uh, made other sounds and so it, it became a uh, part of their orchestra uh, the AM uh, transmitter that day uh,
2: and so is it it's, um, it's a low low-power kind of
3: transmitter, so you're only hearing the AM in a short distance. Yeah, you is that did, correct? You guys did the camp radio story with Dan yeah. Braverman. It's it's actually Dan Braverman set it up, and oh. it is a, a, a camp radio AM radio. Yes. No way. Wow. Yes.
2: Maybe maybe can you give me some backstory? Let's go way back um, as to how you ended up here at Wave Farm,
3: because I know you were doing work, similar work, in, in Brooklyn. You may give you, me. you the, the quick... Uh, the speedy history. I started in uh, Tampa, Florida, uh, with radio in 1994. Um, my friends and I were uh, in a neighborhood called Ybor City. In uh, uh, I had a record store. Uh, there was a bookstore, used clothing store, uh, and we had uh, we put on uh, DIY concerts and such back in the day. Um, Hip hop shows and punk rock shows and. Uh, shows that uh, couldn't get put on at any normal venue because uh, they wouldn't take a chance on that sort of thing um, and the neighborhood went from um, I think something like and this is literally true I'm not making up these numbers from uh, having like three or five bars to having a hundred and fifty bars in a eighteen month period um, it was because of uh, a number of weird factors the gentrification was just on a hyper scale um, And so we were basically getting uh, moved out of our neighborhood um, because of these, you know, rents going up. And uh, bars can pay much more in rent than uh, uh, a used record store. Uh, And um, so we uh, were thinking, like, how can we create a uh, a space uh, that's immune from these things, a virtual space? And um, one of our friends in our circle was a former, uh, he was in the Navy, And he did radio signal work for the Navy, and he took an old, um, some kind of old naval or army radio and turned it into an FM transmitter. And it was the first time he built it. He wasn't that great at it at first. And so the few times a year in Florida where it would get cold, you know, because the walls in Florida are not uh, thick like up here, uh, for when it gets cold, because it only gets cold like a one weekend or two, but uh, the transmitter would, um, it would move from, it was on 87.7, and it would move from 80 point, 87.7 to like 88.1 or something, or, or 87.5. Um, it would shift when it got cold, because it wasn't that uh, uh, robust at first. Um, but at the time, uh, there were all these other groups in Tampa. We didn't know at first, um, but at one point... Um, I left New York to for New York City before this happened, but there, were, uh, there was a meeting in a church of seven different local pirate radio stations in Tampa. One was run by the cousin of the boxer Hector Macho Camacho. Uh, one uh, was um, there were a couple other church stations. Uh, there was uh, a uh, libertarian or pre Tea Party. This was 1994-95. Uh, well, the, the time I'm talking about was 1996 or 97, yeah. I think. Um, uh, this pre Tea Party very super uh, right wing guy Lonnie Cobras, and a third station was run by Doug Brewer, who built transmitters and sold them around the country like um, uh, Stephen Dunifer at the time, but not as he was. He was more right wing, and uh, he did a station called the Party Pirate. It was one of the only stations in the country that I know of pi- pirate stations that made the Arbitron ratings. Uh, And after it made the Arbitron ratings and he was selling these transmitters across the country, the Wall Street Journal did a front page story about him with, uh, you know how the Wall Street Journal does those little artist sketches. There's a little artist sketch of Doug Brewer on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And two or three weeks later, the uh, Tampa FCC office, which... Uh, I f- believe has the record for busting more pirate stations than any other in the country. Um, th- they ca- came with SWAT teams on 87X, the Party Pirate, and Lonnie Cobras' station. I have an interview with him where Lonnie Cobras talks about how they um, came at six in the morning, um, banged on his door, dragged him out of the house, and put him in a foreign-made car—a foreign-made car, a non-police car—and that was his. He was really upset that they put him in a foreign-made uh, car, like a Toyota or something. Uh, <laughs> So I had moved to New York by the time that the three stations, the SWAT teams, came. Uh, and um, and about the time that the SWAT teams, right before the SWAT teams came, we got our own station up on the air in New York City. Um, I famously tell people that Rupert Murdoch paid for our station, three point nine because I wrote for the New York Post. I had a music column there for a, a short time. Um, so Rupert Murdoch paid for our pirate uh, transmitter. Uh, and um, we had a, a space right next to the Williamsburg Bridge in Brooklyn uh, but we also um, and we started with one transmitter on 103.9 FM but uh, we started accumulating other transmitters either from gifts or, or building them or whatnot um, and we would um, lend out the transmitters for like a weekend at a time to different groups who were having a party or an event or a meeting or whatever um, we recorded everything onto VHS tape. You could make eight hour, uh, VHS recordings, um, just audio. Uh, and so we would record everything onto eight hour VHS audio tapes. And so when we lent out the transmitters, we would give them a VCR and a stack of eight hour tapes so that when they went to sleep at night, they could keep the transmitter on by playing uh, reruns. Our strategy was just to put up flyers on the telephone poles of where we believed the signal would get, how far, you know, depending on how high we could get the antenna up uh, or, you know, compared to the other buildings in the neighborhood is how far you could go. Uh, That's how we would get listeners that way. Um, We never, as far as we know, we never got a visit from the FCC. We got visits though from other pirates. Uh, One day we were having a yard sale broadcast, a stoop sale on the sidewalk. And this guy comes up on his bike and he's like uh, an older uh, uh, Hasidic Jewish man. And he's like, you've got a pirate radio station, I've got a pirate radio station too, and he told us all the stories about how the more conservative uh, Hasidic community was um, trying to shut him down because he would broadcast news from Israel that wasn't all uh, pro-Israel, or uh, it also uh, took into account the Palestinians, and uh, it was more of a fair-sided uh, thing, so he was getting um, pushback from that. Uh, if you go to David Gurin's, Gurin's uh, uh, pirate radio uh, uh, story uh, map and all he talks about uh, WBAD which was one of the more famous um, uh, pirates at the time this is the the late 90s early aughts um, I think they visited us once um, because we got a transmitter given to us from a group in Dumbo that um, was using it um, but they gave it to us because someone came and cut their uh, transmission line after they got a visit from a uh, these guys saying you're using our frequency, our frequency to pirate. <laughs> uh, so they were claiming it was their, free. and so they told them to get off the air, and they didn't. And then they, uh, someone came and cut the line, and so they didn't want any more trouble from this group, so they gave us the transmitter, and we were careful not to use it. The BAD folks, they only went on the air from uh, 10 p.m. to midnight. They were on top of a super tall building; you could hear it throughout the hall entire New York City. So we were careful where and when we would use it, but we used it once on a July 4th party on a rooftop um, with the Sound Lab crew, DJs, and so there was like 100, 200, 300 people on top of this uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn uh, uh, roof, and uh, having this party with DJs and all this going on, and these guys come up and start asking people, uh, who's in charge of the transmitter? Who's in charge of the transmitter? And nobody they were just asking random people and they didn't and the people didn't know and I was like following them around watching them and listening to what they were doing without letting myself known because I could figure out pretty quickly it must have been them another time the only other visit we got was um, somebody else gave us a different transmitter and we put it on one weekend on a Friday night and left it on all weekend and Sunday morning um, somebody came and rang the doorbell and I didn't answer it and then they went and knocked on the neighbor's door and they said to the neighbors who's got the pirate radio station up there next door? And the, and the neighbors were cool and they knew what we were doing. And they said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they shut, shut the door and immediately called us. And so I watched out the window, this guy, um, he didn't look like an FCC guy. He looked like an, an older Hispanic guy in a, a beat up car and, uh, not dressed like all that well. Like I assume he was probably another pirate, but he could have been an FCC person. But, uh, we never had uh, an FCC visit. We all the pirates of the day in New York City would have a picture of Judah, uh, the FCC guy that co- would come out of retirement was actually named Judah, Judah Monspacher, I believe it was his name. But he busted. He was he got on television in the 80s for busting that um, ship that was off of the New York coast. That was a, a pirate radio ship, and it was a huge story on the national news at the time. In the like nineteen eighty-seven or something, but uh, all the pirates in New York City of the day would have a picture of Judah on the, at the door, saying "Don't let this guy in." Um,
2: it's I, I hadn't heard about this sort of turf war between pirates that you're on our frequency, and you know, after looking at David Gordon's map and seeing just how many there are
3: in New York uh, City, there's only so many frequencies that you can use. I mean, we did events. Um, uh, Later on, we would do these multi-transmitter events uh, called tune-ins or radio 4x4s where we'd use four or five different transmitters. The tune-in was the most famous. We did it at the kitchen and some other um, New York uh, art uh, spaces um, where we would have um, performers all playing. um, But if you came to the space, it was silent. And when you came to the door and paid your admission, you got a little handheld radio with headphones and a card that said that... um, uh, Thurston Moore was playing on 88.1 at 8 p.m., and Scanner was playing on 88.7 at 9 p.m. And so there were five different, six different performances at the same time uh, going on on different frequencies. And and so instead, of, it was meant to be a concert experience that... Um, When you go to a concert, everyone has basically the same experience. You're all standing forward, looking at the performer and hearing the same thing. And this was meant to be a concert experience where everyone had exactly uh, their own uh, 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 night. Uh, You could be listening to one of the five or six uh, featured channels, or you could be listening to commercial radio, or you could be listening to the static in between the stations, whatever you wanted. Uh, There was one time... um, during one of these tune-ins, that uh, this performer who called himself Donna Summer, his real name was Jason Forrest, um, but he was a mashup artist and a DJ kind of person, and he would did the trick the DJs do, where you take out the headphones out of the headphone jack and plug them into the input jack, and then they use them as a microphone. So he spoke into his headphones and said, "Anybody who's listening to me, raise your hand." And so about you know a third of the hands in the audience went up. And the rest of the people all looked around like, why are you raising your hands? Because they were listening to something else.
1: That voice you just heard is Tom Rowe, Artistic Director of Wave Farm, home to radio and transmission arts and also home to community radio station WGXC, serving Green and Columbia counties in New York State along with many other stations detailed earlier. This is Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reesmondel. Radio Survivor is heard on non-commercial radio stations around North America, like WGXC. And you can listen online at radiosurvivor.com podcast or through your favorite podcast app. Now let's return to the Acre, New York studio of Wave Farm, where Jennifer Waits continues her conversation with Tom Rowe. Tom picks up the story of Wave Farms' evolution, explaining how their present-day Hudson Valley environs differ from their earlier home in Brooklyn.
3: We we only knew about four or five or six at the most frequencies that you could use in New York City, because the dial is so um, busy. Uh, and it's the, mo- the, the biggest difference from um, our days as a pirate in New York City and our days as a nonprofit up here, uh, the dial is just uh, radically different up here. There's much more open space, there's much more static in between stations, and there's not as much uh, station crowding. Mm,
2: okay. And so when did you move up here?
3: That was 2004, and we kept doing things in New York City um, at the Ontological Theater uh, uh, and other places in New York City, um, And we still have partnerships uh, with these different venues in New York City that broadcast. But we moved up here in 2004, and the idea was to create an artist residency program and to uh, um, be able to do other things. Uh, We didn't uh, dream about getting an FM license as a former pirate, Um, but I think it was 2007 uh, when the word went out that they they were going to have a... uh, full-power um, non-commercial educational licenses were going to be available um, and so we applied in that window uh, I think the deadline was 2008 and um, we beat the competition because we were the only uh, local uh, uh, applicant um, and uh, it took us till 2011 to raise all the money uh, to get the radio station on the air so we're a full-power 3,300 watt uh, station and, and the irony, you know, of course, is that when they passed the low-power FM bill that we worked, um, we lobbied, went to D.C. and, and worked to get the low-power FM bill. But they put that um, part in it that you couldn't get a low-power FM station if you were a former pirate. Um, but we're totally allowed to um, get a, uh, a full-power license. People don't really realize this, but we've talked to the commercial broadcasters up here, and almost all of them have backgrounds in pirate radio. It's just, it's, you know, the, the, huh. the mom and pop stations, you know, not the uh, Clear Channel or uh, iHeart Radio or whatever it's called post-bankruptcy, uh, uh, but the, the few mom and pops left, do, uh, many of them do have backgrounds in uh, pirate radio. That's they, amazing. They started in their teens and 20s, you know, messing with things.
2: Right. Could you tell me a little bit, I know there's an artist in residence right now, can you tell me a little bit about um, what his project has been this week?
3: His project is, is a lot with uh, VLF, or very low frequencies, and um, his, he's creating installations around the uh, seven planets in our solar system and uh, doing these uh, kind of uh, metaphorical uh, broadcasts uh, uh, about each of the planets and uh, in using a lot of the NASA uh, VLF... Uh, 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 recordings that are available and he's also has a, his own VLF out there uh, picking up uh, you know the uh, VLF is ba- pick basically the very low frequencies that pick up the sounds that the planets um, broadcast themselves the, f- from their magnetic fields. Wow.
2: And remind me his name again?
3: Dan Tapper. Dan Tapper. He lives in Toronto. He's formerly from England. Uh, um, And uh, the first artists that we had this year were from uh, Paris. Um, And uh, other artists so far was uh, Molly Bendel was from Baltimore. She's, I think, 23 or 24, a younger artist just getting started. So we... Um, work with artists that are just getting started in the uh, media art and radio art fields, and then uh, more established artists that have been around forever, uh, and also we work with some uh, sound and noise artists uh, that are known more for other things, but then they apply to do something in radio. Uh, Aaron Dillaway is is a noise artist that's coming later in the season, uh, and Quintron from New Orleans did the Weather Warlock, uh, but he's known more for his uh, uh, indie rock kind of performances, I guess. Uh, um, so we we really have all different kinds. David Goren that we were talking about before has been an uh, artist in residency before. Uh, um, scanner from England, uh, uh, all kinds of different people.
2: And we had a little bit of a tour, but could you describe, you know, kind of briefly what what you might see on the path right now?
3: Uh, well, there are. Um, Four uh, boxes on our path through our property that um, have uh, electrical outlets and uh, they also have an ethernet um, connection so that um, artists can uh, plug in and send audio back here or send audio out to each of the four uh, spots. Um, There's also Wi-Fi throughout the property so um, you can take your laptop and go out by the ponds and uh, work on your art there. uh, there's some different installations. The outer net from uh, Heidi Nielsen is one, and that's um, like the internet, but it's uh, it's more primitive. Uh, it basically um, is set up generally in remote places like uh, Siberia or Antarctica or some remote part of Africa or Asia, where there is no internet available. And uh, basically, it's a, a satellite hookup that picks up uh, a signal once a day and gets a couple gigabytes of information, so that that. A remote outpost uh, can see news headlines and there's a lot of DIY stuff like how to cut your own hair or how to uh, uh, build electronics um, things that you would need at uh, it's kind of like a old encyclopedia or and it, the interface looks very much like the internet in 1993 or something uh, hmm. it's very primitive um, and meant to um, you know work where you you know uh get that information where there is no internet. Um, There's also the M49 radio truck that we talked about before. It was the town of Stockport's radio truck, their fire department's radio truck. Um, uh, This local artist, Max Goldfarb has uh, used it for projects and has now left it here. And we've got the AM uh, transmitter in it. So there's an AM transmitter with a mixer and artists can just go in and uh, plug into the mixer and do whatever they want into the AM transmitter. Um, That's pretty localized. It doesn't get that far. Uh, One of these camp radios that we're talking about before. Um, There's a dead drop up in the woods, um, which is basically a USB stick uh, stuck in a tree. Uh, You'll see these more commonly in New York City and Washington, D.C. and Moscow and places. uh, Spies are said to use them. You just hook up your... uh, device with a USB and you uh, can anonymously put data onto the USB stick and leave it there and then the next person, the next spy can come and take the data off or put other data on and it's a totally anonymous way of sharing uh, data uh, away from the cloud and away from uh, uh, Google and Facebook and Amazon knowing what you're uh, sharing. Um, and then there's the remote audio outpost up in the woods. It's the farthest away from the road. It has its name. And there's a, um, uh, the, the group Japanther put that in. Uh, and there's a uh, uh, telephone there that if you pick up, you can leave messages. It's meant to be a, a confessional uh, where you're leaving private messages for public consumption. As uh, Japanther take, uh, uh, they take the um, recordings every month or so and turn them into uh, some sound art projects. I think those are most of the...
2: Uh, yeah, I can't wait to go back and leave my confession. It sounds like people actually use it pretty seriously.
3: Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some people are just like, uh, you know, say something a little jokey, but then uh, we'll have groups of college students come through and they'll spend uh, five minutes in there, yes. We have tried to set it up um, as open-ended as possible so artists can do what they want. We're not trying to suggest, uh, what they might, uh, want to do. Like, uh, the artists in residence, you know, we try to, um, uh, make sure they know that, um, every night at midnight, they could do, um, a radio show while they're here. And like, uh, Dan Tapper, the current artist, he's doing, um, he's been doing these audio diaries uh, of what he's been working on, um, that have been between five and 15 minutes basically. Um, but you know, some people do radio plays. Some people do, uh, uh, you know, kind of fictional war of the world's kind of broadcasts. Uh, uh, some people just play music and and do something totally different than their artistic practice, uh, that they're working on all weekend. It's sort of a break. and, And we really like that, um, the late night radio thing, the, uh, whispering secrets into the air, uh, with people having transistor radios under their pillow. I, I mean, I, the question I always ask of our guests is, uh, w- how did you get in, uh, interested in radio for the first time? And I always, uh, when I turn, uh, tell my story is I grew up listening to, in Baltimore or outside of Baltimore, listening to WFBR, uh, and listening to Baltimore Oriole games at night. And then, um, the morning DJ was, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, he was a kind of famous one of those morning, uh, pre Howard Stern kind of morning jokester, but uh, did a lot of uh, cutting up uh, stuff in like the style of Dickie Goodman, the, uh, who was the guy in the late 50s and 60s did, did those um, space parodies about aliens attacking, cut up with pop music songs like The Answer. Uh, you, sort of like the Seth Meyers question and answer thing with um, Sarah Sanders but with uh, aliens and then the answers would come from pop songs uh, uh, um, so, so I grew up listening with a transistor radio under my pillow and so we like uh, to let artists um, give a new generation of listen, radio listeners uh, a chance to hear some uh, radio magic after dark uh, uh, and on Saturdays during the day too
2: so that's reminding me, so when we are walking through the property, there were radios everywhere, and I think my daughter was saying something about that would be really spooky at night.
3: The phasing is, is kind of weird that um, they're they're all picking up a signal at the same time, but the way that they're placed in different, uh, it gives this uh, really spooky quality to it. Yes, yeah, she picked right up on that. Uh, it's meant to be a kind of a lure, uh, you know, uh, the Greek myth, uh, the sound is supposed to lure you up the path, Uh to the next uh, sound, um, which is uh, kind of a spooky explanation too.
2: How many radios are out there?
3: Uh, Today there's probably 10 or 15, but uh, it depends on how many, how long I have to get them together and uh, how many are working and how many have got left in the rain and don't work anymore or uh, we have to dry them out and they they often come back after they've been left in the rain. Uh, Radios are pretty tough.
2: So this is uh, broadcasting the AM station. So this is part of Dan's project here. Although it was almost like triggered as if like. I will persevere. I persevere
5: through this thickness. D- to bring you news every eighty-seven days as my orbit completes. Darkness attracts.
2: perched in that tree.
3: It'd be creepy at night. (laughs) Tom (laughs) always
2: wants to do some kind of scary Halloween thing here, yeah. But
1: he hasn't done it yet. In that last little bit of field audio, you heard Wave Farm Executive Director Galen Joseph-Hunter Giving a tour of the grounds to Jennifer Waits and her family. Before that was Jennifer's interview with Wave Farm artistic director Tom Rowe. You can find Wave Farm online along with all its radio stations and online audio streams at wavefarm.org. I'm Paul Rees Mandel and this is Radio Survivor. Hey, do you want to follow up on the many bits of radio history and arcana discussed on today's show? Of course you do. So check out our show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This one is episode number 151. Next, we're going to hear from one of Wave Farm's artists in residence, responsible for the weather warlock you've heard about. Radio Survivor's Eric Klein called up the musician Quintron to learn more.
5: been building analog since for some number of years now, for all 20 20 or more years and uh, have always really enjoyed working with uh, strange new ways to filter the sounds in the circuits as opposed to twisting knobs or pressing buttons. Um, All you're doing is, is varying voltage and constricting it and switching things in, in different ways. And you can certainly find ways to do that with the kinetic energy that is the weather, which is happening all the time and changing all the time. And wind is, you know, wind is one of the greatest gifts of kinetic energy that we have. So I've built these sensors, a set of sensors that attaches to a pole outside and it's wired to the synth, gener- you know, the sounds that are being generated are in the brains of it inside and there is a set of uh two wind speed anemometers that are filtering uh two notes in the cord and then there's a sky sensor sun sunrise and sunset sensor or a gloomy day sensor moon sensor and there's a rain sensor but it would work with snow or dew or moisture and then there's a temperature sensor and in the future there will be things like barometric pressure and other parameters but i'm up. i'm up to just those five now, yeah.
4: and so it's it's droning, in a, and it's changing. Uh, with, well, the, with the weather. The, uh,
5: the um, uh, people often say that that the weather is making the sound, and that's really inaccurate. Uh, statement that really the sounds are being generated this i've built a synth that generates an f major chordal drum or you can shift it to different uh chords but the one i'm really into right now is f major so you've got the root third the fifth and the high octave and those four notes are being pushed and pulled and massaged and filtered through various classic analog circuitry um by changes in the different components of the weather that's the nutshell explanation of what's happening
4: yeah beautiful and so let's um you can build this thing and enjoy it yourself <laughs> like uh, other people could do this but you've um you've essentially also turned it into a web stream an online radio station is that right
5: yeah the the real I think, the the real importance of this project and the epiphany that I had, I've had this idea forever and I've been kind of working on it forever and I did um, a big residency, uh, my first one ever, uh, art residency in Captiva Florida. It was a Robert Rauschenberg residency and I went there to work on this weather synth. I knew what I was gonna do and I had the circuits and I had all the pieces to build and then, um, as I began doing it, I realized. My first thought was like, "How can I make this smaller and cheap and manufacture it for people to buy?" To you know, wouldn't it be cool to be able to go get a at the hardware store a weird weather drone? You know, help you get to sleep at night, kind of in wacky invention. And then it hit me, literally in the middle of the night, like lightning bolt, like this should stream for free, it should be free. I should make, because I was holding myself back from building the best one I could build. I was constantly thinking like, cheaper components, smaller. How can I cut corners here to make it affordable for your regular person? And maybe it seems obvious (laughs) to somebody else, but it wasn't obvious to me. And I was like, oh no, this needs to be radio, free radio, online radio, all the time, constantly changing forever and then I can make the ultimate deluxe one and I can don't have to cut any corners and I can just do the craziest circuits I want and add the wildest, you know, additions and uh, it just is part of this kind of shared project and that was really, um, that, that kind of changed a lot of my thinking about everything, that, that um, idea to make it public and free and, and streaming and that that is available to us now for fairly cheap you know i pay maybe 30 bucks a month for my for somebody else to host it
3: mm-hmm. um
4: and that's available for listeners to hear at this very moment at weather for the blind
5: and sometimes the stream goes down sometimes the power goes out in new orleans Sometimes I need to move the instrument from here to there, whatever. so but um, on the site is also an archive of um, some choice, you know, hour two hour long pieces of music that this instrument has made for you to listen to.
4: Yeah. And I like this. So you're, you're telling me how, you know, it was kind of an epiphany is like how I'll describe it. Right. Cause it's so obvious to put it on as a stream so people can hear it all the time, instead of, uh, making one for everybody, you just make one stream mm-hmm. for everybody. And now, now I can turn on new Orleans, weather uh, whenever I choose, like, but so what did that, what did that add to your, what did that add to the piece? now that it's Well, model. what it did
5: for me was it really connected me with a whole community of people because mostly in, I'm a musician by trade. I, I tour as a musician and I've built other synthesizers and sold them um, for years and years. It's kind of been my living. And my audience has been other synth nerds and builders and, you know, rock and roll fans and, you know, a, a joyous, lovely, hermetic cult of um, family that, that, you know, I'm not, uh, don't disparage at all. But what the opening this up as kind of, a for everyone free 24 seven streaming service, that was just a a constant kind of healthy, peaceful drone. I started getting emails from healthcare professionals, lots. I've done lots and lots of interviews with, um, sight impaired publications and radio stations and um, it's being used in some end of life hospice care facilities and people have been talking to me about just mental health um, benefits and I, I don't know, like it, it opened up my world to a whole bunch of people and communities of people that I otherwise wouldn't cross paths with. And it you know it gets your mind thinking in different ways and um, it's been it's been kind of the best thing I've ever accidentally stumbled on because of that really.
4: We're on the line with Quintron, a musician, an instrument builder, and specifically a synthesizer builder, a synth builder, and we're talking about your Weather for the Blind project, the Weather Warlock, right? The which is uh,
5: the instrument. It's sort of confusing. The instrument I call the Weather Warlock. The site where you can hear it is weatherfortheblind.org. dot org.
4: And it's a it's a synthesizer that is controlled by the weather. Yes. And because you put it on the internet and it's a live stream 24/7 unless the power goes out um, it's really uh, it's it's become transmission art and I wonder how, how did it get connected then to I found about I found out about the project via wave farm the mm-hmm. transmission art uh, uh, institution there in upstate New York linked to a community radio station and how, yeah. how did they how did they get it?
5: they they commissioned an instrument from me um which i'm still doing i'm building them for uh, on commission for different people and tailoring it to the environment the climate the, the budget of whoever you know is wanting one but um as you know they're doing really really cool stuff up there and they have uh, an actual live fm station that they're hooked up with and they've got a 24-7 online really just total weirdo radio thing going on Mm -hmm. and so they commissioned an instrument and they went and uh, lived there for two weeks and built one tailored to upstate New York and they have it in their DJ booth in their studio in their radio studio so it's kind of like they I just went and visited them after I guess we've had it for about a year and a half or something and they said that it's, uh, they love it having it in the studio because it's it's uh, the ultimate solution to oh my god, my I haven't found my next record yet or I'm I'm behind on this or that. It is the greatest filler music of all time yeah. <laughs> because it's playing itself and it's always different. And they've got a knob just for that. And it's just like oh, whoop, you don't have enough time, to flip that oh, piece I of Weather it. Warlock in there and you can kind of tweak it and play it along. It's a, it's great. It's wonderful glue to adhere between different um, music genres or talk and music or whatever. So that's what they have ended up using it for. It's like right right next to the DJ microphone in their studio.
4: That's really wonderful because I still, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been at a board on a live radio program, but I still to this day will have anxiety dreams about the dead air that may or may not have ever occurred uh, where's that oh, cd yeah. that i need am i
5: queuing or am i on air oh
4: my god it, and so yeah to I, have a button i'm
5: good i'm like techy and good with that kind of thing and i mess it up all the time when i i don't host a regular radio show but yeah it gets uh you know everything's kind of I, backwards and
4: <laughs> that's really weird, but yeah yeah so so they so they paid for their own uh Weather Warlock, right? Yes. Okay, got, got it. Weather Warlock, which is a synthesizer controlled by the weather. And at this very moment, I need to find somebody out there in the world who wants to pay you to make a Weather Warlock for the Pacific Northwest because that would be uh, beautiful. We could pick a different key. So
5: and- right now, there's one in Miami, which is tuned to E. Um, and there's one in upstate New York and there's one in New Orleans. And I really, I don't want to do any more on the Eastern seaboard. I want to do one up, I want to do one in a gloomy part of the upper Pacific Northwest or Canada just to work with those environments. And I'd like to do one where there's a lot of snow or someplace on the coast. You're in Portland, Oregon, right? I think drop D is, that we should go drop D for the key for Portland. (laughs)
4: <laughs> I'm in it I'm into it um, Wonderful Well, Quintron You are a musician As well as the synth builder And you are also a touring act You, you tour as Quintron And Miss Pussycat And mm-hmm. we're talking here On Radio Survivor About the transmission art That you've created But I kind of want to transition For the time that we have left To talk about um, Like where do You know I, I think you have a unique uh, Perspective I'm assuming On 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 what this country's radio stations have to offer the traveling artist?
5: Well, it just has to to offer, you know, the American public. I've always been a huge consumer of radio. Um, And it's still, you know, I live in a place that has hurricanes and um, environmental disasters on a more regular basis than a lot of places do. And when it all breaks down, let me tell you, AM radio is all you got and it still is very important for um, disseminating news and shortwave on an even higher level as far as you know when things really break down shortwave is is a way for first responders to communicate with one another and um, yada yada but yeah uh, you know the internet the internet can, can come and go but radio waves are impervious to hurricanes and I'm a, yeah, I'm a big consumer and lover of AM radio and, uh, and when we tour, we only do radio in the van. We don't bring CDs or tapes because we really both enjoy just kind of like hearing stations fade in and out and hearing, you really get a sense of a place when you're driving into Texas or wherever and you, you know, you, the radio starts to change and you flip constantly flipping around the dials and you hear, you know, like what's, what's the the pulse of whatever region you're in yeah and clear Channel is is trying to ruin all of that by homogenizing everything and and buying out college stations and turning them into the same four npr shows but there's still really weird amazing am radio out there all over the place especially in the south for some reason I, i maybe it's cheaper to get a license or I'm not sure, but New Orleans in particular has has incredible AM and and FM radio. WWOZ is like a pretty powerful FM station that's completely committed to traditional uh, New Orleans jazz and blues and uh, all things New Orleans, and there's a lot of church stations here and lots of local talk. There's a show on about uh, only about Food and wine and dining in New Orleans, posted by a native New Orleanian on local radio, six days a week for three hours a day. This guy <laughs> talks about restaurants and food and wine. And he's got callers lined up out the door. Yeah. It's crazy. What's What's that show Live called? Live broadcasts it? On all day on every Sunday. It's, uh, can,
4: can you help me if, if I was to try to Google up this uh, uh 15 Google hours? Google Tom
5: Fitzmaurice. Tom Fitzmorris is my radio hero, my talk radio hero, mm-hmm. and he—he's uh, the food radio host, and he adamantly refuses to discuss politics or yeah. sports because there's so so many other shows that do that. You know, he's not trying to be a jerk about it, but he's like, this is a place for you know to forget about that and to talk about the pleasantries of life for a couple hours a day and he's got the he's got the voice and he's got the greatest bumper music of all time and stories and he's kind of a snob. He's not he doesn't suck up to his callers or or you know have that weird thing where they agree with everybody so you don't know what they really think. Um that's fantastic. Cool. That's wonderful fantastic talk radio host.
4: And do you do you get to when you go on tour with Quintron and Miss Pussycat, do you do you visit like stations and get on the air? Uh, uh,
5: Yeah, 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 as much as we can. One of, you know, our music is pretty culty and strange. So, um, you know, we're not going to pop 97 or anything, but um, yeah, there's there's certain towns that have really strong underground music, community radio presence, Chicago in particular, New York, kind of not as much as they used to, but there's still um, FMU.
4: Uh, Quintron, uh, thank you so much for talking to me about the Weather for the Blind project, weatherfortheblind.org, where people can hear yeah. uh, the weather in New Orleans uh, playing a, a synthesizer. And I hope I hope I can hear the weather in other places soon.
5: Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your interest and in, in, uh, talking to me. And keep in touch.
1: Thank you, Eric Klein, for that great interview with the musical and transmission artist Quintron. Uh, you can learn more about all the things that we've been talking about here on today's episode at radiosurvivor.com/podcast. Uh, this is episode number one fifty-one. Look for the show notes, and you can you can dig wide and deep, and we encourage you to do so. Jennifer. Uh, thank you so much for taking this tour of Wave Farm uh, and taking this the time out of out of your uh, little vacation there in upstate New York. Uh, I'm so jealous. Still, I'm so jealous.
2: Yeah, you know, I when I knew that we had a family trip planned to the Hudson Valley, um, I immediately started plotting a trip to Wave Farm. So I'm I'm so it was so serendipitous that. I was able to see two of the studios and, and, and talk with folks and learn more about Wave Farm. And, you know, it was more than I could have possibly imagined. It's, it's, it's quite an undertaking. I'm really impressed what, by all of their projects and transmission arts and community produced news. It, it's, it's amazing. I was happy to do it.
1: Yes, I'm I'm very impressed. They are an inspiration and they are an affiliate of Radio Survivor. So what else could make it more, more perfect in that way? I
2: know. Yeah, it was great. It was great to meet listeners and fans, too. So, you know, that doesn't happen on every station tour. So it was it was very exciting. I was warmly welcomed and was very glad to make the trip.
1: Thank you, Jennifer Waits, uh, for making that uh, journey. And a name came up in your talk with Tom Rowe uh, from The Wave Farm. And that was David Gorin, who yeah. is a journalist and radio producer. And I talked with him on episode number 133 back in March when he was telling us about his new project that he was in in finishing up called the... Pirate Radio Sound Map, the Brooklyn Pirate Radio Sound Map, and I just want to tell folks that it's live. It has gone live. So if folks want to go and experience the sounds of Brooklyn Pirate Radio, which is sort of unique and unparalleled anywhere else in the world, just go to PirateRadioMap.com. And on uh, two episodes ago, uh, Eric and Matthew and I sat down for a conversation Where uh, we got into talking about how in community radio, uh, individual programmers and DJs really need to pitch in in publicizing the station, especially when you have an eclectic format. And Inspired, I took my ideas and put them to, uh, not paper, but to, I guess, uh, photons on your screen. I wrote it up and you can find that at radiosurvivor.com as well. We'll have that in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This is episode number 151 I would love to remind everybody that we are a listener reader reader supported enterprise to learn more about how you can help us keep doing what we do go to radiosurvivor.com slash support and if you have any comments about the show or you have any memories to share or suggestions for things we should cover or stations we should tour drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com Jennifer thanks once again for taking us on a great radio tour Sure. Happy to share it. Thank you, everyone, for spending another hour with us. And we hope you'll be back for our next episode. Goodbye.